Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. I haven't done that in a while. Good morning! Um, If you see in your bulletin, we are not in Matthew 5, and I found out that I wrote Matthew 5 like 12 minutes ago. So if you have a pen, just cross that out. It is Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6 is where we will be this morning. So you can turn in your Bibles if you have a Bible, or you can use the bulletin, or you can just listen. That works too. But we are in Matthew 7, not Matthew 5. And we're continuing in our series, Life in the Kingdom. And something really amazing about this Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7, in Matthew 4, Matthew calls this sermon the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is a really cool way to describe um, the sermon that Jesus brings for three chapters. It's the Gospel of the Kingdom. It's the good news of how the Kingdom is supposed to operate and how we are supposed to operate inside of the Kingdom. And it's good news because God's Kingdom is the best Kingdom and operating in form with Christ in the kingdom is the best thing you can do. So I just think it's really cool that Matthew calls it the gospel of the kingdom. And in this gospel of the kingdom, Jesus gives us ultimate, top-tier wisdom for us on how to live according to the kingdom. And he changes directions here in chapter 7. We talked about some spiritual hypocrisy for a while, and now we're going to talk about how Jesus unpacks the way of the kingdom as it relates to helping each other grow in community. Helping each other grow in community. Grow towards maturity. Helping each other with our faults and with our blind spots, which is something that God calls us to do in community. That we are actually supposed to help each other where we we have character flaws. We're not supposed to gossip about it to our four friends and never address it, we're actually supposed to be the ones that help each other see, hey, we might be missing the mark here a little bit, and there's a way forward and it's better. And so Jesus, in chapter 7, verses 1-6, through is giving us a way forward as we help each other grow. We say it often here at Southside, but we need each other. We We do. The Christian life in isolation, if you've ever lived the Christian life in isolation, it's extremely hard. It's extremely hard and it's not meant to be that way. You are meant to intimately know people that are not in your immediate blood family on a deep, personal, Christ-centered level. It's where spiritual maturity is the most prominent inside of community. And it's one of the reasons that we have community groups. And one of the reasons that we have Bible studies. And one of the reasons why we generally love getting together. And there's pockets of people all over the place in our church that are inviting each other to their homes and to their front porches and to ball games. And it's amazing when we have a Southside softball game and there's people there watching that don't have a husband or a friend really on the team. They're just, I mean, they do have friends there, but they're there to to just hang out because... We need each other, and we need to love each other because we can't do it alone. Now here's what happens when you live in community together, intimately and vulnerably. It gets pretty hard because when you do that, 
You can't pretend anymore. And when you can't pretend, people know you in ways that you wish they didn't know you because they see your blind spots. They see your faults. And that's kind of sucky because we like to put on faces where no one gets to see me as I truly am except for Melissa. And that's not how it's meant to be. It's hard because when you're doing it right, it leads to hard conversations, but the best conversations. It leads to conversations that have to do with character flaws and how maybe we shouldn't be talking like that to one another or posting that, posting that on the internet. I mean, we're not supposed to say, yeah, whatever. No, we're supposed to help each other. And that's hard because when someone addresses my character flaws, my first response is defense, right? I mean, I'm like, okay, I can maybe see that, but you heard it wrong. You know, you ever heard that one? Or you ever said that one? Like, you heard that wrong. It wasn't my fault. It was you, the hearer. That's what I do because I don't want someone to address the things that I'm doing incorrectly. Jesus gives us a way forward where we can actually say, okay, I hear you. Thank you. And what Jesus does in this passage this morning is He brings an incredible amount of wisdom and grace to these interactions. And He gives us the most gracious guidelines on how to navigate these conversations because the conversations should be happening. But they should be happening how God wants them to happen. Especially when it comes to each other's faults, we have to be very meticulous. We have to be very clear. We can't just come bulldozing people over and expecting change. And Jesus helps with that this morning. So let's look at the passage, and we're going to see how Jesus helps us navigate life together in the kingdom. Matthew 7, verses 1-6. through Judge not, that you not be judged... For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, this is one of the most misused passages in the Bible, especially by opposition. You know, the Bible says, judge not. So, you know, I can do whatever I... You can't tell me how to live. You know, only God can judge me. You guys heard that one, of course. Um... It's used uh, by unbelievers to attack a little bit. Like, well, you can't have an opinion on that because the Bible says don't judge. But that's, that's not really what this passage is saying. And the context is surely not that. The context is how do we help each other grow in maturity when it comes to our faults and to our blind spots. And so I have three observations this morning how we are going to uh, how, how Jesus helps us grow together in community. And you guys can just be let in a little bit on, this, on the secret here. Um, 
I'm still figuring out my preaching voice, how God wants me to teach and has wired me to teach. And it's worked for me that three points is the best. So if you're like, man, the last six sermons Alex gave is three points, it's because previously I would find nine points and it would be an hour 20. And I promised you guys about four months ago that we're going to keep these things in the 30-minute mark. So we're going to have three points for a while if I'm preaching. So I got three today. I'm, if you come up to me afterwards, you could say, hey, there's other things. I get it. There's a purpose here. So I have three observations. Helping each other grow the way of the kingdom. Number one is this. Don't condemn one another. Don't condemn one another. Verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The Scriptures frequently warn Christians about passing judgment on each other, using condemnation. Before we get into that, I just want to kind of talk about what Jesus is not saying. So we can kind of take the pressure valve off a little bit. Jesus is not asking you to never form an opinion on anything. He's not saying don't don't make judgments. He... I mean, we make judgments every single day. I would say that if you consciously said, all right, today I'm never going to make a judgment about anything, it's impossible. You can't do it. Judgment is intuitive to human nature. So, like, if someone's driving 80 miles an hour ahead of you, and they're, like, weaving in and out of traffic, and it looks a little crazy, and you're driving the speed limit, it's 65, you're driving 67, you know, and... Um, you, you see it, Jesus isn't saying you're supposed to be like, you know what, I'm not supposed to judge that behavior, let me just go right up next to him, and you know, you know the cards will, will lay and everything's good. No, of course not. Jesus, you're not supposed to not form opinions. You're able to be like, you know, it's probably safer to either hang back or to pass as quickly as I possibly can. Right? Jesus isn't saying don't form an opinion. You couldn't not make judgments if you tried. I tried the other day. I tried for like 30 minutes. Don't make a judgment on anything. And then I grabbed a pen and I had to decide if that pen was going to work. And do I want this pen? No, you know, it's not possible. Jesus is not saying that He wants His disciples to not care how others act. He's not asking us to be apathetic towards one another. Especially in community. He doesn't teach to turn a blind eye to evil and to sin and just to let it go. In fact, as we're going to see later, he teaches that in this passage, Christians, we have a unique calling and duty to be present in each other's lives. So present that we actually can help each other grow by pointing out each other's blind spots and character flaws. Jesus isn't asking you to turn your mind off towards sin. He's not asking you to be apathetic. And He's also not saying you, like, don't ever make a judgment on someone's spiritual state. What is Jesus teaching then? Judge not is a negative command. And He has a lot of these negative commands. Um, it's one of the ways that Jesus teaches. He tells you what you can't do, and there's something behind it. And if I was allowed to have five points, we could have an extra 25 minutes. But there's something behind it about what God is definitely for. 
in opposition to not judging, but he's definitely against something. So what is he forbidding? He absolutely forbids Christians who condemn one another. Who shame one another. Now what does it mean to condemn? Condemnation is to express complete disapproval of someone's action and sentencing them to a deadly punishment. When Jesus says, judge not, He's saying, don't condemn anyone to a fate for their action that you don't have authority over. There's only one judge of morality. There's only one judge who can see the human heart, and it's God. And you can't. Don't make eternal claims on someone's soul. Now Jesus was combating the normal way that the Pharisees related to one another. The religious leaders would look down on their people and they would make eternal claims on each other. Well, you did this a little wrong, so you better get right with God right now or you're in deep trouble. They probably said things like this. Shame on you. That's what Jesus is forbidding. Hypercriticism. Judgmentalism. The Pharisees condemned people to hell without ever knowing their people's hearts. It was like from a distance. They would never take the time to intimately know someone, but they would pretend like they knew everything about them. And we do that. We do that. What Jesus is saying is that if you are in community together, when you see sin, when you see fault, when you experience hurt, you're not to heap shame. You're not to judge too harshly or too quickly or unfairly. You're not supposed to look down on anyone and bring condemnation. There's only one person who condemns, and that's Satan. So language that I would say should be removed from the Christian vernacular is this. You should probably never say shame on you. You should not say you should be ashamed of yourself. There's only one who brings shame. And it's the enemy. Romans 8.1 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But as Christians, sometimes we want to bring shame so that someone would be drawn near to the one who doesn't bring shame. It's counterintuitive. Satan brings shame. Jesus brings grace. We live in a cancel culture. We condemn each other and we cancel each other for big things or for small things. But Christians are called to respond to each other's faults differently than the rest of the world. The way of the kingdom is different and it's better. The world cancels each other and Jesus cancels all your debt. I don't know about you guys, but I think I want to be with Jesus on this one. Now let's notice how Jesus explains the forbidding of condemning one another. He says something pretty drastic to the Pharisees here. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured towards you. Clearly, the criteria here for the judgment that Jesus is using is that the Pharisees were judging people on standards that they created. So he's, 
He's drawing something out here a little bit. Hey, all the, all the ways that you're judging someone, condemning someone, you're going to be judged that same exact way. So you better have it right. I mean, you better have it right. And now remember, just two chapters before, Jesus exposes how your very heart, your very heart can break the law. So the Pharisees were probably like, I, like I said a few weeks ago, I think I would have been like, all right, Jesus, can, we, can this be a sermon series, please? I can't take all of this at once. But this is what he's saying. We, we judge people on our own standards that we make up. That's nowhere in the Bible. And we make up rules and laws that you can't find anywhere. It's as, it's as dumb as don't wear sandals on stage to as probably pretty logical, but it's still not there. We pass harsh, critical judgment on others for not living up to the standards that we create. And when we do that, that's not the way of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus forbids. Don't look at anyone, whatever it is, whether it's a heinous crime or even simple philosophical decisions. We love, I mean, I, I'm just saying that because I love to do this. There's a philosophical difference and I just rant and vent about how, how could you think this? How could you do this? I would never do it that way. Don't ever... Don't look at someone, whether it's a heinous crime or simple philosophical decisions, and condemn them based on your own standards, even if you're sinned against. Jesus promises that there's a way to have sober judgment without condemnation in community, and that's the way forward. So we're supposed to help each other with our blind spots, and in this room, our church family, we're supposed to look around and invite each other to help us with our blind spots. Terrifying, right? And at the same time, we're called to bring the gentle mercy that Jesus had with you to the side of those who we see flaws in. So the first step to relating to each other in our faults is this. Don't have an attitude of condemnation. Don't go into a conversation ready to condemn someone. It should break your heart that you have to go into a conversation to address a character flaw. You shouldn't be going into that conversation ready to correct and, and you love correcting someone. Don't go in as a bully. Have that conversation with humility and love and grace. So that's what Jesus is trying to teach. Number two is this. To help each other grow in community, Christians are called to strive to see your sin clearly. Strive to see your sin clearly. Verses 3 and 4. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice, do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? So here's what Jesus is saying. You're a few steps away from someone and like they've got a little bit of probably wood dust in their eye. Like you can't you probably can't see it from that far away, but you're a couple steps away. Like me to Titch, and Titch has a, a speck of dust in his eye, and I have a beam coming out of my eye, like bigger than my whole body. This is supposed to be like hyperbole. Jesus is driving home a point here. 
I've got a beam in my eye. Titch has a speck in his eye. But here's what Jesus is forbidding. I've got the arrogance and the pride to look past my monstrous beam that's like here. Be like, I'd probably have to do this because it would hit him in the face. I have the pride to, to be able to say, hey, Titch, I can see you got a speck in that eye of yours. Let me come help you take it out. Jesus is using an extreme story to show that he, I think he's talking about perspective. It's how we view our sin versus how we view other people's sin. So you've arrogantly pointed out someone's speck from afar and you don't even see the two by four in your own eye. And Jesus is trying to help us see that it's really important to help each other grow in community. We've got to be able to see our sin clearly. He's talking to the Christian who sees fault in everyone else and has no awareness of their own sin. Now, I would say this is true for me that one of the most noticeable characteristics in someone who's growing in Christ is someone who's acutely aware of their sin. Who's constantly aware of where God is working out and rooting out sinful tendencies. If someone asks, hey, where is God working in your life? The people who are growing in Christ almost always have an answer because they know that the race isn't done. It's not finished. And there's still things that God needs to root out of us. And it's really important to see that Jesus talks about the faults of others as specks and talks about our personal faults as logs. And here's the point that Jesus is making. It's that in the kingdom, in the kingdom, to you, your sin is meant to be more destructive and bigger and more dangerous to you than any other person's sin. You're supposed to look inside and be able to see that the heart of the problem is that my heart is the problem. And we often have this flipped. And I'm only saying this because this is how I have it flipped. Many times. We have the tendency to point out how big and massive and destructive the sin of the world is. Can you believe how big that sin is? But our personal sins, they're small. They're inconsequential. Here's something we like to do a lot. You know, they're struggling with sin, but I'm just struggling. It's not really a sin. It's just a struggle. Right? We like to push it and brush it off to the side. But Jesus is showing us that the way of the kingdom is to be humble about our own sin and to be gentle towards others who we find fault with. Our tendency is to be harsh with other people's sin and really, really lax on our own. And now, Jesus is talking specifically to people who deal with judgmentalism, that their first look is towards other people's faults and not their own. But when you see your sin with great clarity, it helps people grow because the clearer you recognize your sin, the more freedom that you have in Christ. And this is my story. Freedom in Christ grew as I was more aware of the ways that I fell short of the glory of God. Because I couldn't depend on myself anymore. And the more I tried to depend on myself, the more I realized that I didn't have what it took. So how do we see our sin with great clarity? I mean, how is this possible? 
Here's what I would say. Find yourself with great consistency in close proximity to Jesus in the cross. The farther you get away from Jesus, the smaller your sin seems because we don't have anything to match it up against. But when we see our sin next to the cross and next to Jesus, I see my sin much larger and more clearly because I'm no longer just, you know, doing this little thing. Like, just my heart reveals to me that I've sinned against a good and gracious God and I need Him to help me. So how do you see your sin with greater clarity? Get close to Jesus. Because Jesus has this amazing ability to reveal your sin and to do nothing about it but comfort you and give you grace and give you mercy. He is the most trustworthy person in, the, in human history with your sin. You bring it to Him and He doesn't condemn you. He says, I'll take it upon Me and you can go and live. So Jesus is saying, to help each other grow, first we have to see our sin. Like There's a log in your eye. You've got you to see that. And then lastly, to help each other grow in community, we help each other with restoration and rest as the goal. That's the goal. When we see someone have a character flaw or a fault, the way of the kingdom is that we're helping each other because we want them to taste. We want them to taste the restoration that Christ brings. To do this, you first need to be rested. And you first need to be restored to Christ. So often we try to bring advice and we don't rest at all. Matt Simpson, one of my uh, best friends and one of my pastoral buddies and peers, we were talking about this passage and I said, I'm going to use this quote from you and this is what he said. People living under the weight of condemnation want to condemn others. But people who are living in the freedom of restoration to Christ and in the freedom of rest in Christ want to see, each other, want to see others restored. And that's true. When you're resting in Christ, the reason you want to help is because you want people to taste the rest that Christ offers. So, have you ever gotten anything in your eye before? I wanted to do a little group. Like, can someone just give me your your reaction when you get a like sawdust in your eye? What is the first thing you do? Thank you. Ah! Like, I don't even do this. I like freak out, but I'm dramatic. Like, my eye, it's gone. <laughs> Melissa had a gnat in her eye last month, and we have these gnats because our house is a jungle in a good way, like every five days there's a new plant that's like in our living room. And I'm like, all right, you know, you're our interior designer. You got it. But, you know, that sometimes we have some gnats. And Melissa had a gnat in her eye, and she obviously, like there's a bug in her eyeball. And I had to take it out because she couldn't see it, probably because she wears contacts, and she probably didn't even have her contacts on and didn't have her glasses on because you can't have your glasses on and take a gnat out of your eye. So she asked me to help. And how did I do it? How did I take the gnat out of her eye? I'll tell you, I didn't like take my finger and like aggressively stick my finger in her eye until I grabbed the gnat out. And then, hey, your eye, I don't know what happened to your eye, but the gnat's gone, right? 
I also didn't take a pair of pliers and like stick a pair of pliers in her eye socket, pull her eye out, search around for the gnat, take the gnat out, discard the gnat, and then put her eyeball back in, which my dad's an eye doctor. I haven't asked him yet, but I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if her eye would work anymore. I know that it would be extremely painful if that's how I took the gnat out of her eye. What did I have to do? Now, I got close and I, my finger touched and immediately there's defense because there's more obstruction going into your eyeball. I had to carefully and gently and closely and with a little eye care expertise delicately grab the gnat. And her eye was restored. And yeah, it had a little irritation. But nothing compared if I would have went in there and taken my finger and jammed it into her eye socket. And this is how Jesus exposes our logs. This is what He does. He gently and carefully, and get this, closely and with eye care expertise, deals with the logs in our eyes. And this is how we are called to deal with each other's specks. Notice that Jesus didn't say, leave the log in your eye and get on with your day. Like there's a big old log, whatever. He didn't say, don't take out the speck from other people. What did He say? Verse 5, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He said, get your log dealt with. And when you're having your log dealt with, you will then be ready to gently and graciously deal with other people's specks. And this is the heart of the command. Helping others in your community with their character flaws is fruitful when you are being consistently healed by Jesus. And when I'm someone who's consistently being healed by Jesus, Jesus is healing me, then I'm able to help others heal because I'm not the one that's really doing the healing. Jesus is, who's the great physician, who has the greatest eye care expertise of all time. And that's how Jesus calls us to help each other grow. We go into conversations and we don't condemn one another. We go in with some grace and some mercy. And we go into those conversations after we've already realized, Jesus, I have my own specs. And I'm not going to be able to adequately expose this unless you're with me. And He gives you grace to do it. And then we go into those conversations by saying, I want this person to rest in Christ. And that's the only reason I'm doing this. Because I want them to taste how good you are. Now quickly, you might be like me and be like, hey, there's another verse in there. What's that all about? Verse 6 says, don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now that's confusing, right? <laughs> now this could be a whole sermon, and in most cases it is. But I just want to take a couple minutes and then be done and give you the abridged idea so you're 
you're able to see kind of what Jesus is saying. It seems like Jesus is kind of being vicious, but he's not. And he's not being derogatory. What Jesus is doing is using a very prominent contextual example for those who would be listening to see that there's a way forward with someone that we confront who doesn't want to hear us. And although we're not to be judgmental, Jesus helps us see that we are, in fact, supposed to have discernment. And specifically with restoration conversations, when we give gospel advice to each other. He's not saying you can discriminate because he just said everyone's your neighbor and they deserve your love. He's not saying pick and choose who are the dogs and the pigs and you know, that would be being judgmental immediately after teaching us to not be judgmental. But what, what Jesus is saying is that when you go and give gospel advice, now, he's talking either from death to life. You're talking to an unbeliever and you are sharing them with them that there is life in Christ. Or you're just giving gospel advice to a believer and you're saying, hey, there's some character flaw here and let's let Jesus heal you of this. If you're doing those, in those conversations, if people are being combatant or argumentative, or quite frankly, they're just being mean to you, it's okay to use discernment. It's okay to say there's a point where it's better for you and better for them if you walked away from the conversation. Jesus is saying there's times where playing the long game is the right way to do it. It's like if you were on Facebook and you posted something about Jesus and someone just responds with some insanity, which happens. Jesus is saying after a while that argument's probably not worth it. He's saying don't be judgmental, but it's okay to discern that someone is not receptive to you and your gospel advice and they don't really want to listen to you. So brush off your feet. Don't waste your time Play the long game, and it's okay. So I want to give you just a couple practical thoughts, and then I'm going to pray. Number one, when we're going into these conversations, whose fault do you see first? Do you see yours, or do you see everyone else's? Today is a great day to ask God for humility towards your sin. I need it. It's inevitable. Every time I preach, I'm like, good gracious this is hard stuff, God. I need, I need this. How do you approach this conversation with people who have blind spots? Do you do it because you want them to rest or for your own pleasure? Today is a great day to ask God to give you more grace and gentleness and mercy in your conversations. That your speech would be salted and seasoned with the love of Christ. I need it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for dealing with my log day after day after day. And thanks for giving us a better way forward in your kingdom that we are able to help each other see our faults and our character flaws. And it doesn't crush us because we know that we're helping each other out of love and a desire to rest in you, which is the best type of rest and the best type of life there is. And I pray that that's true this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
check out our website at southsidewister.com.